the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing yesterday's blockbuster trade and the outfield crop. But first, I really want somebody to make an A-Rod reality show, because that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. In fact, somebody in my chat today asked, if uh, he's going to be broke by, like, what year he'll be broke by. And I actually don't think that he could go broke just because, you know, A, he's made a ton of money. And B, you know, I feel like he's such um, he's such a sideshow. He's such a crazy person that you'll either get a show or a book or, you know, there'll be, They'll be, or he'll be a wrestler, you know, like he could totally. <laughs> He's going to be the next WWE superstar. He could be a total heel, you know, he could be a great heel. So I feel like, you know, there's so many different things he could do that I doubt he'll ever go broke. All right. So our most interesting player alive today is no surprise. It's Prince Fielder followed by Ian Kinsler. And I have to say, I love when fantasy baseball type trades happen in real baseball. I mean, this is. Something that you're like, oh, like this is really going to happen. And it happened so quickly, and I love it. It's so much fun. Yeah, I, I can't believe that. I feel like I want to – I haven't seen – I don't have a, a trade database that I can query. and I haven't really seen one. And so it's hard to say, you know, X trade has happened this many times. But I, I – and, and so I hate to, like, think anecdotally, but – I can't rem- I can't remember like a lot of one for one trades like this, you know, one for one, star for star, you know, um, basically, I mean, there's some money changing hands, but it's basically just like, here you go and we'll take your star, you know, so I different positions. So it's not just a challenge trade, but, you know, it is a challenge trade on some level. Yeah, pretty crazy. And the thing is, it seems like the consensus is that the Tigers really made out here. But I'm actually concerned about Ian Kinsler's offensive performance. If you look at his home away split to 389 Woba at home versus just a 313 mark away, his BABIP and his isolated slugging rate both dive away from home. Does that concern you at all? Because that I feel like maybe Ian Kinsler isn't as good as people think just because he's played half of his games in Texas all of his life that inflated his uh, offensive stats. Yeah, um, that is definitely an issue. I think, it, I think it's this is more of a fantasy issue than a real life issue because um, I think his defense and um, you know stats like WRC plus and batting runs they actually uh, uh, park adjust so they do a lot of this work for for um, for you on the real side. So his actual defense and patience and enough power that that package is actually very similar to fielders. Um, it, they're both projected for about the same number of wins. And, you know, for a team like Detroit that actually had such terrible infield defense and, you know, had three first basemen 
that they or DHs that they couldn't figure out how to play. It does make sense for them to take Ian Kinsler on, even if the risk is that his batting average drops, you know, because they don't necessarily care about that. Um, so uh, uh, that's a, that's the real life piece. The, the, the fantasy piece is that sure, sure, that there is an, there's definitely a, a chance that his batting average goes down. Um, you know, and it's not all about homers. I mean, one of the, one of the things that's surprising to some is that there are sites, you know, like Stat Corner that have, um, that have Comerica and, and, um, and Arlington as similar, uh, parks in terms of park factors, uh, especially when it comes to homers. Um, which is weird because our park factors for home runs are different. I think the overall park factor and just overall offense are similar, but, According to our factors, Texas is a much better home run park for both lefties and righties than Detroit is. Yeah, so... Um, and I like to think that we're right. So. Yeah, it is. It's a really hard thing to do, park factors. And, it, you know, our power factors do line up better with, with um, the sort of quick, you know, quick appraisal of the two parks. Um but, you know, there are also balls in play, and I think that the balls in play ones um, and the runs overall, you know, favor um, Arlington So, on uh, most park factors. So, um, you know, I think – and then, then there's obviously Kinsler's, you know, you know, rather large sample at this point uh, of home and away stats, and he's been a Ranger this whole time. And so, you know, I have heard something about, you know, a new structure behind Arlington's you know, screwing with the the jet stream or whatever. But you know, when you have a guy like Kinsler who has a big sample of playing home and away, and he has that you know those lesser away numbers, then I think you have to ding him a little bit. And considering he turns 32, and um, you know, before these last three years, wasn't a really healthy guy. Um, I think that uh, you have to consider um, you have to consider him a risk to you know, and not a top three, uh, not a top three option anymore. Also, what's interesting about Kinsler is that I think the perception of him is that he's a very good power hitter, especially for a second baseman. But that's really not the case. If you look at his average batted ball distance this past year, it was only 265 feet. And remember, the league average is typically in the high 270s, you know, 275 to 280. So that's well below the league average. That might surprise a lot of people but where he gets the power from is that throughout his career he's been an extreme fly ball hitter plus he makes a ton of contact so lots of contact plus lots of fly balls are going to result in home runs but his home number fly ball rate over his career has essentially been league average his career high is only 12 and a half percent that's not a big time power hitter and it probably surprises some so because his power base isn't that high to begin with i mean it was only 6.7%, 7.9% the last two years on home run per fly ball rate. Maybe this park change isn't going to affect him that much. I mean, how much lower is it going to go? 5%? I can't imagine him that low. So maybe he's not going to take such a home run hit like the park factor suggests he might. True. I mean, yeah, it is. I think that sometimes we can overrate the effect of park factors because A, he's still playing half his games on the road, and B, we're talking about the kind of effect that a just enough homer could, you know, like let's say he didn't have a lot of just enough homers, um, you know, last year. And that's why he was down to 13 homers. So let's say next year he gets lucky on a couple fly balls and that alone could undo the park factor change. You know, like let's say 
America steals a home run from him, but he gets lucky on a couple home runs, on a couple fly balls he didn't get on last year. The net effect it could be zero. It could be one in his favor. So, you know, I think it's safe to put him down for a good on-base percentage, um, uh, better than league average, but not great, uh, not a good uh, fantasy batting average, uh, and something like 15 homers and 15 steals. Speaking of the steals, that actually concerns me moving to Detroit. The Tigers were actually last in all of baseball in stolen bases. And the Rangers were second in baseball. Now, obviously, a lot of that has to do with the players on each team. But Austin Jackson was a Tiger. He led off. And he is a reasonable stolen base threat. He has very good speed. He only stole eight bases this year. So the Tigers really don't run. Yeah, they didn't really have a whole lot of stolen base guys other than Austin Jackson. But the fact that Austin Jackson didn't even run and hasn't really run throughout his career means that Jim Leland probably is just not much of a runner. And you have to be concerned about what that does to Ian Kinsler's stolen base uh, attempts. And he was only 15 for 26 this year, which was his worst percentage by far. He used to be a very good base dealer, and he's gotten worse and worse. The thinking goes that maybe age is catching up and he's not as fast as he used to be, which makes sense because he's over 30. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that, except that uh, one thing, Jim Leland has retired. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I, you know, when I said that, I'm like, wait a second, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he retired. Not that that means a, a huge difference. I mean, it could be something from all the way on top from the GM, but I – I do think that some of it's personnel. I mean, why steal if you've got Fielder and Cabrera coming? And now, you know, maybe it makes sense to steal because you've got uh, Cabrera. I mean, you won't probably steal second in front of Cabrera. That's a, that's that's probably a big deal. So if you're just Austin Jackson sitting there on, on base, then you probably wait for Cabrera and Fielder to come through the lineup. Uh, you don't want to give them a base to, to walk the guy, you know? Um, but, um, you know... Now, now, now the lineup is different. Now you have uh, Kinsler and, and Austin Jackson at the top of the lineup, and you know, depending on who's first and who's second, and how they how that works out, and uh, do they put Vmart uh, hitting third and 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 Cabrera fourth, or they do Cabrera third and Vmart fourth? I think there's more moving parts, and uh, it's going to be a little bit different on the lineup, and we still don't know, you know, what's the last missing component. I mean, they saved seventy million dollars in this trade. Um, are they going to go spend it on an outfield piece? Is Chu going to be atop that lineup? Um, so, you know, if they put Chu in that lineup and, and they go, you know, uh, or maybe they push Jackson to the bottom or something and go Chu and Kinsler at the top of the lineup, no matter what, they, there isn't really a hitter-like fielder on the market that they're going to plug in. And uh, I think that this team is going to be a little bit speedier. And I think that's something they wanted to do. They wanted to get better defensively, and I think they wanted to get a little bit more um, you know, athletic on the base pass. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I think this does. Overall, this reduces Ian Kinsler's fantasy value. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that, yeah. All right, how about Prince Fielder? Does he get a bump up moving to Texas now? And if so, how much? And, of course, Prince Fielder coming off of one of his worst seasons in his career, the lowest Woba since 2006, and he failed to reach 30 home runs for the first time since, again, 2006. So any bump up in value might actually give him some profit potential for a change in fantasy drafts. Yeah, I still – I think it's going to be overrated. Um, you know, the one of the things that um, 
I'm writing about, I, I was just writing about before this, is, is the aging curve for heavy players. It's not good. Um, he's turning 30. He's definitely heavy. Um, and uh, uh, another thing is that um, I, saw, I saw an over-under at 32. 32 homers. And I think that that is somewhat generous because Steamer has him for 27. And you're basically saying that Texas is going to give him five homers that um, that Detroit wouldn't. So, you know, you know, he, he hits a third of his balls in the air. Uh, I mean, there's almost a simple math you can do. He hits a third of his balls in the air. So, or, or he hits like 170 fly balls a year. Uh, let's just cut that in half and say that he hits uh, 85 at home. Um, and uh, so he hits 85 fly balls, and his regular home run for fly ball rate is you know, somewhere around 15%. So, you, you know, know that. Uh, I actually, I can't do that in my head. I'm sorry. I got the calculator out. <laughs> 85. 13 times. home runs. That's 13 home runs, 15% home run per fly ball rate on 85 fly balls. Right. So if you boost him to uh, his career, you know, level, 19%, um, that's 16 home runs. So, you know, you'd have to boost him on the road, too. And to boost him on the road, he's going to be playing a lot of the same parks. He's going to be playing some worse parks. I mean, he's going to be playing Oakland. Seattle. Seattle. So, you know, I think that there's going to be – and yeah, we should do this, actually, because Chad did a great job of this once uh, for Prince Fielder. Chad did a great job of this for Prince Fielder when he went to, to, um, to uh, Detroit. We actually – to get combined with uh, some work from Zimmerman, and we predicted around 30 homers based on um, the fact that he was leaving Milwaukee and he was going to be playing these places on the road, and then he was going to Detroit and playing here at home and these places on the road. So I think we did a great job, but we should do it again because you know there is definitely some stuff in the division that's going to hurt him, and then there's the home that's going to help him. And I'm not willing to give him more than four or five homers for the for, you know on the balance. Yeah. Uh, I mean, looking at his historical home run per fly ball rates, you think that maybe he has a chance to get back up to, to 17, 18%, and that would just basically get him back up to 30 home runs or so. I think also it would help if he if his contact rate uh, got back to where it was in 2011, 2012, but it's unlikely because this year was essentially in line with his career average. So... I don't know. I mean, uh, a 30 home run, a uh, 100 RBI guy batting 280 or so smells more like a third rounder or so rather than the, the end of the first, early second that he used to be. I mean, if he played another position, then, uh, then he'd be, um, you know, like Adrian Beltre or something. And uh, I don't think anyone's talking about Adrian Beltre playing, uh, you know, being a first round pick. No. And, um, and Adrian Beltre plays third. So. You're talking about a, a position that has a lot of heavy hitters in it, and uh, and he's he doesn't steal bases like Goldschmidt. You know, he's I don't think he's going to be a 35 plus homer guy, um, which would you know differentiate himself from the pack a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see him as a first rounder for sure. Uh, I'll take the under if the over under is at 35. I think at 32, I'm I'm sort of right there. We'll probably still take the under. Um, late second round, I'll start thinking about him, but he'll be gone. 
All right, let's quickly just talk about some of the impact and the domino effect that this trade is going to have. I say, obviously, depending on exactly what the Tigers do for the rest of their for third base, for uh, left field, uh, I would say right now that Rick Porcello should be celebrating if he's not traded, and, and that whole pitching staff should really be loving this new defense that's going to be much improved next year. Remember, a full year of Jose Iglesias now, and Miggy likely moving back to first base, so you'll have maybe Nick Castellonis, who can't be any worse or as bad as Cabrera at third base, and Kinsler's fine at second base. So that's a, a revamped infield defense that really should help Porcello. Yeah, I do think that'll be a big deal. Um, I mean, Cabrera's like the worst third baseman in baseball over the last three years. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm not so sure that they're just going to put Castellanos back at, at third because once you move a guy, it's kind of hard to go back in the other direction. But it oh, has like been Miguel Cabrera, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. And so I guess if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be them. But but I think this is about defense on some level. So I do think um, – you know, I, I kind of think that Uribe or Peralta um, are interesting names for them. Um, and I kind of think Peralta might come back. I know they're a little bit far apart on negotiations, but I think that, you know, the thing that's nice about Peralta is he played a little bit of left field. And so basically what you can say is, OK, we've got Peralta and we've got um, Castellanos. And between the two of them, we at least have one position filled and maybe we have two positions filled. Right. Uh, and then in Texas... Mitch Moreland had been the first baseman, obviously Prince Fielder now, so Moreland gets pushed to the full-time DH, but that's pending what the Rangers do for the rest of the offseason if they get somebody else. And then you got to remember, if Moreland is the, the, the DH, he's going to be on the bench in National League parks, and it's just not a safe spot because anybody can play DH. So if Moreland is slumping, he goes right to the bench. He's still not going to face lefties, so this really hurts Moreland's value. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, you know, you can't call him full time anything. Almost. I mean, they did try to give him basically the full time go of it this year, um, but he's. I, I think he's sort of shown, and, and you can. We talked about this before. If you look into the splits, he, he really is not good against lefties. Um, and you know, he had, he showed a lot more promise in terms of on base percentage and and walk rate. Um, in the past and, and um, you know coming up he looked like a guy who would walk a ton and make a lot of contact and not and be at least valuable um, uh, when it came to play discipline but he's kind of aged poorly um, and the, the splits might be a part of that but you know he's still only uh, coming up on well he's actually coming up on 30 this is how old we are uh, he's going to be uh He's well. I guess he's he's was born in September, so he's gonna be 28 next year. He's still in his peak. Um, there's still a chance he's a he's a contributor, but uh, I think he's gonna be a plug and play guy, a platoon guy that they plug plug in around the you know maybe give him um, you know some time in the outfield and some time at DH. All right, let's talk about another pretty big signing earlier in the week. Tim Hudson, now a member of the Giants. Does this affect his fantasy value at all? Uh, I think it does. You know, um, we've seen some really low home run per fly ball numbers from uh, pitchers in um, in uh, in San Francisco and and even in Oakland. So if you look back at, at some of um, Tim Hudson's years with Oakland, 
Um, when he has a really minuscule home run for fly ball number, he has some really good years. So, you know, people. some people said, oh, this isn't a good match. He's a ground baller. Well, ground ballers still give up fly balls. So, you know, any any help on, on homers is still help. Um, and, uh, you know, he actually had his worst home run for fly ball or home run for nine rate um, and worst home run for fly ball rate in three years last year. And he had his highest ERA. So, um I think this will help him, and I think that um, he could easily show something more like his 2011 numbers when he uh, he had a 3.22 ERA um, and six strikeouts per nine, or you know, so I, I think that he could do something like that. And um, you know, the question is wins. Uh, it's hard to hard to tell what kind of an offense San Francisco is going to have year to year. They seem to. Um, fluctuate a lot, and they're not probably not completely done. But uh, there's going to be some bounce back from some of their guys on offense, and I think I'd be comfortable giving them 12, 13 wins and a mid three ZRA. Now the thing with Hudson, obviously he's an extreme ground ball pitcher, so he's going to require good infield defense. Now he's going from a team that employed Angelton Simmons, the best defensive player in the history of baseball, as we all know. But Brandon Crawford is is pretty good himself. Plus, the Giants actually had the second highest UZR 150 in the National League last year. The Braves were more middle of the pack. So obviously that that's infield and outfield defense. But it does suggest that he's moving to a very good defensive team. And Hudson has made a career out of very low BABIPs. His career BABIP is only 279, which is probably one of the lower ones uh, when you're just looking at career marks. And so he's going to require good defense because he gives up a lot of balls in play. And it looks like he's going to the right team to continue to maintain uh, a sub-league average BABIP. Yeah. um, You know, one thing that's uh, kind of underrated about Pablo Sandoval is his defense. I mean, he didn't have a great year last year, but um, and it might have been related to his weight. But, you know, he says he's going to get healthy for his 28, age 28 season. He's going to be a free agent. I think he's going to be motivated. Um, he's had, he's had double digit defensive value years. So, uh, I think he's an underrated defender at third Crawford is, is well rated. Um, and Scudero, even in his age, uh, is, is decent. Uh, belt is a good first baseman. So I think that they've got, uh, they've got the right infield for him, um, as well. So, and then you, you can't forget that I would take, um, the, the the offenses he has to face uh, in San Francisco more often, I would take those over the divisional offenses he faced in Atlanta. So, I mean, I know um, L.A. is getting better, but L.A., you know, has some bad bit parts. I'm not sure about their second baseman coming into next year. Um, and uh, and then you've got San Diego. Arizona is, is not a great offense away from home. Um, so I, I think uh, – Colorado. What's that? Either is Colorado. Yeah, Colorado away from home, also not great. Yeah, he'll have to pitch in Colorado, and he made a joke about getting his first win in Colorado. Um, but as a ground baller, he's not hes not um, a big curveball guy. I mean, yes, he throws a 10%, but he throws enough other stuff um, that I think he can uh, survive in, in course field. I don't see that, you know, curveballs, you know, a couple course pitchers have told me that curveballs suck in, in course, but... Um, you know, it's not his main pitch, so I think uh, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. I think he'll he'll have a good year, uh, and I think he'll be one of the better free agent signings, actually. All right, let's talk outfielders. Give me a sleeper at the position for next year. 
Um, well, it's it's a it's a it's a big mammoth, and uh, we might have to have another podcast about the outfielders. But um, you know, when I look up and down the the list, uh, I think you know uh, Carlos Gonzalez. You know, ended up 16th on our radar. Hold on, time out. Are you calling Carlos Gonzalez a sleeper? Well. I mean, I have to. I have to start at the top. I mean, I, 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 I think that he could be a top outfielder next year, and he was a top sixteen guy. So, um, if you know, if you're looking at acquiring somebody, then, uh, then he's definitely, you know, and actually on the same kind of level, uh, Yasiel Puig for me uh, is too attainable um, in in leagues. I think um, some people think that they're selling high. I've seen some trades. That on Twitter uh, for Yasiel Puig that are not appropriate. Um, so I think that uh, you know we, you joke and you say, "Well, are you calling him a sleeper?" I think you can actually call Yasiel Puig a sleeper. So uh, yeah. if you want me to go deeper? Well, uh, I have a question though because I still see Carlos Gonzalez going top ten in mock drafts, given his injury history and the fact that in the last three years his high at bat total is only 518 at bats. Is that injury history enough for you to shy away from taking Carlos Gonzalez that early? No, no, I'll I'll, I'll take him in the top ten. I won't take him in the top five, but uh, any any outfielder. Plus, I feel like especially in outfielders more than anything, um, I feel like I can get a guy to replace him while he's out. So um, you know, maybe in head to head, it's a little bit more of an asterisk, but. Um, yeah, I think uh, I think I would still take him. All right, I'll I'll, I'll go deeper. All right, I'm gonna agree with you on the cargo. I still take him top ten. It also depends on the the league context. If it's a shallower 12 team mixed league where solid replacements are easily available, then definitely top ten. In uh, a deeper league, then paying a high price is a little riskier because your replacement options when he gets injured are gonna be crappy. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, you know, here's a deeper one. Nate McLeod. Uh, he is totally unsexy. Uh, so unsexy, he doesn't have a deal yet in uh, in real life. Um, he's not going to hit uh, 275 even. Uh, he's not. He might not hit 15 homers. He probably won't steal 30 bases again. So you know, he's really a, a late a late round guy, and I'm not expecting him to do. A- a lot, but what I think is that people don't correctly value him because as a as a bench or you know platoon last outfielder, he's pretty much perfect in daily leagues. I mean, he's the kind of guy where you know steals are down, steals were down big time last year in baseball, and I think that people don't understand that twenty five steals is kind of the new thirty. So um, if you if you can plug him in and get you know ten homers and twenty stolen bases from him on on uh, you know in two thirds of the time. You know, and you plug in another guy, all of a sudden you've got, you know, a guy hitting 275 with 15 to 20 homers, 30 stolen bases. That's that's a great use of a slot. And he'll be like a dollar guy next year. Yeah, I have to imagine that nobody believes in Nate McClough. All the years that he's disappointed, all of a sudden he actually has a worthwhile fantasy season. There's no way people are targeting Nate McClough or believe he's for real. So he's probably going to be available in the majority of leagues or come very cheaply in whatever league he ends up in my big concern though is his first half second half stolen base splits first half 24 steals second half only six so i mean he's not young 
anymore. So you have to just wonder what happened. Did he just want to increase his value and, and show that he's still worthy of playing time? And so he, he went stolen base crazy in the first half. Then once he established the playing time, he's like, eh, I don't feel like running anymore. I don't know what happened, but it is a concern, especially because he hasn't stolen bases like that in a while. Yeah, I mean, I'd be I'd be more comfortable uh, banking on twenty to twenty five from him, maybe even just twenty. Um, his steamer has him at seventeen. You know, uh, I just I, I just think that uh, it's one of those packages that's not you know not going to get a lot of attention, but could really. And in the deeper your league gets, the more attractive he gets. Um, so I just think that he's not maybe not so much a sleeper, but maybe not correctly valued. Yeah, well, his role is going to play a big role in his value because if he does get land a, a starting job uh, he can let's say at his downside a 10 20 guy and that's valuable even in 12 team mixed leagues and you have to assume that he's probably going to hit a top of lineup so yeah he could have some value in 12 team mixed leagues again and he's probably can be bought for a dollar or in the reserve rounds yeah it's funny actually looking up and down uh you know, it, I think it's easier to pick out busts than 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 uh, sleepers in this outfielder list. How about B.J. Upton? Because obviously he was a disaster, and it's really funny seeing Zach Sanders' calculator. B.J. Upton all alone, last of all the ranked outfielders, a full three dollars of negative value worse than number ninety-one Juan Lagares. It's just absolutely hilarious, and. Some who wrote up B.J. Upton. Somebody, uh, Brad Johnson, wrote up B.J. Upton the other day, and all the comments were basically indicating they gave up on him. They want no part of B.J. Upton. I assumed that most fantasy owners would expect a rebound and kind of target him as a sleeper. But reading those comments, I'm thinking he's going to be a bargain next year and well worth the risk. Yeah, we've talked about him before, so I, I, I'm I'm comfortable uh, with that one and. I mean, the one thing that's worrisome is that uh, you know it's a three-year uh, decline in, in in his contact rates, and you know if he strikes out 30% of the time, it's going to be hard um, for him to even hit 220, 230, and uh, that might be bad for optics um, for for keeping him in the lineup. But um, you know, defense alone probably gets him some playing time, and um, you know the power and speed to go from 31 stolen bases. To to 12 is pretty dramatic so you know if you take the over on steamer and give him 15 homers and 20 stolen bases um he's starting to undo a lot of the damage his batting average will do um and uh and we we obviously know that the upside is way better than that so um i'm definitely as a dollar pick guy i love him um for sure i i don't know though i mean like um do you think uh what do you think uh emilio bonifacio is going to cost Nothing. I mean, he doesn't have a, a role, right? Isn't he always some utility guy that ends up getting more at-bats than we expect? But right now, where is he slotted in? I think he's a starting second baseman for the Royals. Royals. Yeah, you th- I don't know what, what the deal with the Royals are, that they just can't find a second baseman worthy of starting there every year. They've gone through such a carousel of mediocre players there. It's become really hilarious. I mean, if he really is the starting second baseman, then... Uh, he's another like Everth Cabrera type guy who could be very right. valuable because he can steal a lot of bases but just not but, contribute anywhere else. 
But if they announce him as the starting second baseman, then you know, then he's not going to be a dollar. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, it's really hard sometimes actually to find dollar players. I mean, to find true dollar players. As soon as you start talking about them on these shows, or, or you hear about them from somebody else, they're oh, the dollar player. Dollar players become five dollar players. You know? I bet you can get Justin Ruggiano for a dollar next year. <laughs> well, um, if he is he still if he's still in Florida, then I I don't know about that one. Well, yeah, he's still in Miami, and yeah, he's not going to earn a dollar because he's not going to get the playing time. There's just too many guys down there. Yeah, but I mean, like for example, uh, Kane Kane and Dyson in that outfield. Um, you know, I don't want to spend more than a dollar on each, and I will spend a dollar on the guy you know who isn't in favor at the time because. Uh, both of them have upside beyond that, so that you could call them sleepers. But um, you know, whoever gets the attention of people, and Dyson has the wheels. He's kind of like a, another Bonifacio type. Uh, um, you know, if Dyson gets people's attention, then he won't be cost a dollar anymore. But I don't want to spend a dollar on a guy whose plate discipline is terrible and doesn't really give you anything other than defense and 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 uh, base running. So. Um, it's hard for me to like really, you know, look at this list and, you know, I guess Adam Eaton is a guy that I always like a little bit, you know, I still like him, but the problem is that his steals his attempts for steals went down so far. Yeah, I was looking at Eaton too and I had liked Eaton coming into the year, but he hasn't been stealing at all. He didn't really steal much in his debut last year either, so to think that that's suddenly going to happen is is silly. I mean, until he starts stealing bases, then he's like a 10-10 guy at best, like a 5-10 guy, and that's just obviously not really worthwhile in a mixed league. Yeah. Um, the uh, Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like um, maybe he could be trying to get used to the league you know maybe it's just about like uh, understanding pitchers moves and, and maybe he didn't you know maybe his his job wasn't so secure that he felt like he could he could fail you know maybe he was like well you know if i get caught here gibby's gonna give me hell and maybe i won't be in the lineup tomorrow so possible you know there could be and i hate to play this sort of psychologist but it, it is a true thing and you know, I you know he probably is the starting center fielder going into the next year, even though Pollock was okay. Um, and uh, and, and the, I think the more secure he gets in his role, the more we're going to see some of this other stuff. So um, I you know talking to him, I really like his plate approach. I think he he, um, he only wants to swing at his pitch. He's very selective. I like that about him. He can also make a lot of contact. Really low swinging strike rate. And he has a bit of power, so that that to me says he's a not a, nobody's really safe in batting average, but he's one of the safer picks for batting average. So ten homers, two eighty batting average. I feel good about those numbers. Is the stolen bases going to be fifteen or is it going to be thirty? You know, that's uh, that's up in the air. Yeah, and he's shown really good walk rates in the minors, but that didn't translate just yet this year. So he does have the potential to really be valuable in on-base percentage leagues because he's shown over 400 on-base percentages several times in the minors. So OBP leaguers, you can get some serious upside there. And I think there's a lot of upside. So in an NL-only league, if you only pay for basically 
like a, a six home run, 10 steal season, I'm willing to pay for that because I think that's basically his floor. And he's got upside in, in lots of different ways that he can give me some profit. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, so I, I think, uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting name to keep an eye on. I mean, we're talking deep sleepers. I mean, I'd much rather have him than someone like Denard Spawn, who I think has no upside. No. Um, and and he's old, obviously, much older than Adam Eaton. I mean, he returned $8 according to our uh, auction calculator just based on probably the value of steals um, and, uh, you know, 20 stolen bases. But I don't think he can steal more than 20 stolen bases. Um, so unless he's actually a dollar again, then I don't really want him. Yeah, he's one of those guys that are like – Available at the end of the draft, you're like, oh, Denard Span, fine, he's there. I guess somebody has to draft him, it'll be me. But you're never happy drafting Denard Span. Right, and what's funny is that Dexter Fowler came up, if we're going to talk bust, Dexter Fowler came up behind him in value last year. And Dexter Fowler is like, everyone loves him, and everybody wants him. And yeah, he had 200 fewer at-bats, so um, you know, injury is a part of this. But uh, he's just never going to steal the amount of bases that people want him to. And um, and I think, you know, at some point, injury is actually part of the package. So um, I don't think that Fowler is going to be on my list of sleepers next year. All right. Well, we are not going to get to busts this time, but we will have to talk about busts and the rest of the outfield crop next time. Next week, Thanksgiving, we're taking the week off. So happy Turkey Day to all. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.